Hello everybody, this is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. As always, the Resilient Podcast out there, thank you very, very much for listening to mine. This was a very, very special interview with Dan Toller of the Relevant History Podcast. Relevant History is a podcast like I used to have. It's a, it's a deep dive podcast into a topic. Two years ago, he did a podcast called Ex Pluribus Unum, where he talks about the fall of the Roman Empire. It's trending now in historical circles to talk about the fall of the Roman Empire as though it was sort of an evolution into a more uh, Germanic uh, flavor. And... The more I think about it, and Dan especially moved me into into this camp, the more I think about it, the more I think that, yes, there was an evolution of sorts, but also there were certain sharp breaks, and those sharp breaks had as much, if not more, to do with the fall of Rome than basically the evolution and he goes over the basically the military and also tactical and administrative blunders um pretty exhaustively i think in ex pluribus unum um his he says two part i think it's more three part series on um the fall of the Roman. And the reason I'm including that extra part is because he talks about there's a leader in what becomes the remnants of the Western Roman Empire that he profiles uh, pretty extensively. I highly recommend uh, listening to it. Um, and I, I wanted to talk to him, and I'm so glad that he came on my show. And you can find him anywhere you can find podcasts. And I'm going to get in, in touch with him and uh, put links below in the description. Um, I'd put him out there if you like history podcasts um, like I do. I'd put him out there with... Um, you know, Dan Carlin or Patrick Wyman, uh, somewhere on, on a par in terms of, uh, qualitatively, in terms of those people. Um, but also we talked about sort of what's going on in the world today because I can't have a podcast and not talk about what's going on in the world today for some reason. And, um, so we talk a little bit about that and a little bit about technology as well. But I do want you guys to listen to this podcast. I think it's it's really great. And also check out Relevant History wherever you can, wherever you find it. Um, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. That's my pod provider of choice is Google Podcast. Um Anyway, folks, have a good day, and I'll see you on the flip side. All right, bye.
Hello, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. I'm here with a very special guest who condescended to come on my show yet again. Um, so let me tell you guys the story because I told him. So this is probably in this season of my life where I'm a podcaster and I talk to indie podcasters. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite podcasts. Seriously. And one day I took my thumb and I was just traveling down his catalog and I found this thing he did two years ago about the fall of Rome. And I thought, you know, wow, let me listen to this. And I did. And about, I don't know, at some point during this thing, I was like, this is really good. And I know Dan and I chat online or through Skype or whatever, but there's no way he'd come back. Let me see. Would he even want to come back and talk about something two years old? Would he even want to do that? I don't know. Let me see. And lo and behold, he did. And here we are. And we're going to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Toller, how are you doing, sir? Doing well, Ben. Delighted to be here. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So what, okay, first of all, let's get down to the basics. What is your podcast series? First of all, your relevant history. Relevant history, that's right. Okay. What is the name of your episodes about Rome? Ex Unum Pluribus, parts one okay. and two. Well, there's that's... also a third part, isn't there? The... Uh, well, there was a sort of a prequel, the first episode, Echoes of Masada, and then there's a third okay. one, or, or okay. another one afterwards, uh, The King and the Emperor, which is post the fall of Rome, but more about the, the political fallout. Okay. All right. So, first of all, for the folks that don't know where Rome, the empire, is, let's let's situate it. Essentially, that Mediterranean coast plus up into what we call France today and up into what we call Germany today and England, and, correct? Yes, England, but not Scotland. Okay. And also the Iberian Peninsula? Oh, yeah, the Iberian Peninsula, uh, pretty much everything north of the Sahara and Africa. Okay. And and then down into Egypt as well. Okay, so let's talk about um I love how you kind of take what was going on in the society at the time, which was the, their society was pretty much a basket case. Oh anyway. yeah. But you sort of say no, let's isolate it to different administrative and military events. So the fall of the Roman Empire was underway before they before the Eastern and Western Roman Empire split up, or what? It depends on who you ask. Um, okay. In the third century, you have a series of basically a period of almost constant civil war called the Crisis of the Third Century, and during that period. Uh, during the civil wars, Rome actually, the empire is divided up into as many as four different uh, regional administrations to appease various powerful generals. So even after 
the empire is uh, you know, reunified, there is there is precedent for it to be split uh, between east and west. So then, when it is split between uh, Valens and Valentinian, nobody's particularly surprised because that's happened before. Nobody views so, it as sort of a, a permanent breach. So, okay, wait. The split had happened before. Yes, yes. During okay. the third century, Rome had been uh, administratively divided into different uh, geographic regions a couple of different times. Okay, okay. The thing that I think I learned either in college or by obsessively watching BBC documentaries about the fall of the Roman Empire, I can't remember where I heard this. Could have even been from you. Was that as complex as the empire was, the actual way it was governed was really just clunky and simple and just too simple. And very prone to corruption. Right. So can you go into that a little bit? So Rome didn't have a constitutional system. Like most modern countries have a constitution that outlines the, the, the rules of how the country is going to be governed. Or in, in the case of Great Britain, you have a thousand years of legal precedent that is binding. Uh, Rome doesn't have that. Um, there is no constitution. The, the rules can be changed pretty much at any time. That's how you're able to get from being a republic to an empire to begin with. So, as a result, because there are no rules to who is going to become emperor, it is uh, very common for uh, someone to kill the emperor in order to take power. Uh, you see that happen a number of times where some general in the Praetorian Guard will launch a coup and become emperor. So as the emperor, you have this incentive to keep all of your subordinates, uh, if they're not scared of you, then really, really happy. So you have a lot of regional, or, sorry, regional administrative titles you can hand out, and uh, you're going to have a tendency to overlook corruption. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. to keep those people happy. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know, one big weakness of the Roman state. Mm-hmm. And basically, like, if I remember right, there was an emperor that died and he had two sons and neither one of them were super competent. Yeah, Valens and Valentinian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe it was Valens yeah, in the in the east who ultimately really botched the the uh, the Goths. Uh, did did you want me to get into that briefly? I I do because I, I I agree with you. Now that I've listened to your podcast about this several times in preparation for this episode, I actually do because I'm on board with you. I think it was more basically giving land to buy off the Goths than it was any sort of evolution of a society. Oh, yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. So, so, yeah, please, please get into that. <laughs> in the middle of the, the 300s AD, you have some Central Asian tribes called the Goths who are kind of moving 
westward to to where they're adjacent to the Roman Empire. They're they're adjacent to the Balkans. Uh, and incidentally, it's the Huns who are pushing them out. The Huns are going to be by later <laughs> to mess with the Romans, but it's actually the Huns that push these Goths out of the Central Asian steppes, and they arrive at the shores of the Danube River, which is the sort of northeastern boundary of the Roman Empire. And the Emperor Valens agrees to let uh, a limited number of them into Rome. But okay. uh, typically you would have taken certain safeguards with these people. They would be disarmed. They would be required to serve in the army. And uh, instead, the local officials take bribes and look the other way. And also, they, they, they abuse these people. They, they make them sell their kids into slavery in order to have food. So now these barbarians are armed and angry, and they're inside the empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you went into, in one of the episodes, you went into what we would, in our modern brain, we would consider these a castle, that this was part of the defense of the empire. Yeah. But then, yeah. So, like, properly speaking, I don't want to get medievalist mad. A castle is from the Middle Ages. This is a little before that. But in terms of how they were used, yeah, they were they were forts, basically, that the Romans would build along the frontier. Uh, but they didn't really have any internal defenses in the empire. So once these Goths are inside the empire and they're armed, they're kind of able to run uh, run wild for a while and uh, you know, pillage a lot of the countryside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was basically, to use an American idiom, um, they were putting all of their eggs in one basket with these uh, with these forts, right? Yeah, yeah, because they were expensive to build and maintain, so they didn't, they weren't able to, they, they, they weren't able to afford as many troops as a result, so they didn't have the same size armies as they did back in the glory days of Rome. Yeah, and, and I feel like we should, I mean, we should zoom out for a, a nanosecond or three, and and tell people that it's not like, so when we're talking about a Roman economy, it's not like today where our, where our sister, where our, the world economy is basically interlocking debt where everybody buys everybody else's debt and the world goes around and everybody's whatever. Here, there is no interlocking debt. So what you have is what you have. Like the money you have is what you have. Right? No, I like that. Yeah, because you 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 can't. I mean, to to a limited extent, you could borrow money as the state from wealthy people, but yeah, you you couldn't sustain deficit spending like you can today. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we're so used to the this era of of deficit spending that we need to kind of zoom out macroeconomically and, and say that that was probably. As much as anything else, they had spent themselves into a hole. No, that is a really good point. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they didn't have any way to get emergency yeah. funding. And also, like, when you have a large, basically, there were units of Goths that were 
operating as units. And I'm just paraphrasing from you, right? They, there were units of Goths that were operating as units within the army, or like within the Roman Empire itself. And they were basically autonomous enough that they even had their own language. Like they even had their own style of, you wouldn't even call it Latin properly. You'd call it something else. Gothic. Right. But, but yeah, they were, these, uh, they, 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 they yeah. were basically mercenaries. It was basically hiring Goths to fight other Goths. Yeah. And that massively backfired. Well, yeah, because uh, yeah. then then you're beholden to the Gothic generals who you're paying, and it's it's just like being beholden to your Praetorian guard. They're going to want power. Mm-hmm. Now we should okay. The Praetorian guard was the emperor's guard that was separate from the military, right? Now I believe by this point it, it was at some point during the crisis of the third century that they were abolished okay. uh, because uh, the some emperor and I. Forget which one, but recognized that this Praetorian Guard was a threat because they kept overthrowing emperors. Okay, right. So they had they had we had had to use a a modern term. We'd had mission creep in the Praetorian Guard, and right. Yeah, they were they were basically picking and choosing who was emperor instead of being just right. the emperor's elite guard. Right. So, okay, so the Goths, um, you, you alone and all the stuff I've ever read or heard or listened to or whatever about the fall of the Roman Empire bring up this idea of the, what you think I, what, what I think you call the, the Christianized siege, which is, it's a siege, but it's not, you're not hurting the churches, you're not hurting, you know, the, the the priests and the nuns and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's very weird to read about because in 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 one sentence they'll say and and they rounded up all the merchants and took all of their gold and beheaded all the men and raped all the women, and then they'll say in the next sentence, oh, but they spared the church and the holy religious vessels and they left the nuns alone and didn't bother them. It's very weird. Okay. So here's a question I've got. What if the innovation of the Christian siege was actually a tactical maneuver on the part of the people who were doing it? Because it's like, we're not terrible. Like, we're leaving some people alone. I, I like that. I mean, if you're, if you're yeah. going to rule the people and these people are Christians, show them that you respect the religion. Right. And, show and, them and that that's your... Right. Yeah, you're you're respecting the rules of their society to some extent. So if you want to come over here in the timeout corner, you can. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. No, that's a I'm, that's a very good point. It's 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 effective propaganda. Yeah. And it, I mean, at some point, you're probably using the Roman. I mean, we should probably say. I'm sure there might be a couple of people that don't know squat about the Roman Empire. They they made roads and what we call stadiums and and what's in that. I'm sure that infrastructure was being used to spread propaganda on both sides. 
Oh, no doubt. I mean, you didn't see a world outside of China that connected until uh, the the early Islamic empires, you know, a few centuries later. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oops, I forgot something. I told Okay, we should say the time scale of what we're talking about here. We, we, we've gotten, like, almost 17 minutes in. We're oh, both true. history nerds, so we <laughs> this wasn't fast by any stretch of the imagination. No, yeah, from from the crisis of the third century to the last emperor is about 175 years, give or take. So it's possible to be a normal sandal maker, as we were saying off air, in the middle of that and not even realize it's happening. Right. It's 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 like it's happening on a geological time scale mm-hmm. over generations. Yeah. And, and it's happening at different times in different places, too, like I covered in one of the episodes that basically uh, the. Uh, I think it was Theodosius just issues a proclamation saying, OK, we're leaving uh, we are leaving the British Isles. Goodbye. And, of course, it's supposed to be temporary. He's just moving some legions from there to redeploy them to fight some barbarians, but they never go back. So that you know, probably happened pretty quickly. But, I mean, to your point, the local administrators stayed in power, and they became mm. your, your early dukes and, and nobility. Mm-hmm. Do you think that had to do with why the transition, at least at the top in Britain, was so smooth or so sudden or so whatever you want to call it? <laughs> well, yeah, cause, I mean, because unlike in a lot of other places, the imperial troops left by proclamation. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everywhere else it was because they lost a battle or something of that nature. And I think also we haven't yet said that in ancient times when you had a battle by our modern stand, by modern thoughts, it didn't these weren't a lot of people by modern thoughts because a society wouldn't have had the soldiers it needed to sustain that. Correct? Like yeah, I mean, at, at the height of the Roman Empire, I think the largest battle ever fought by the Romans was during the Civil War, and it had about 40,000 on each side. And that was okay. an exceptionally large battle. I mean, that's, you're talking 16 legions. Uh, you know, the, a, a more typical battle might have you know, five, ten thousand men on each side. Now we're talking the Roman Civil War here. The Roman, Roman Civil War. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was way back in the first century when they were fielding those kinds of numbers. Yeah. So what, was there a population decline before this or, or not? The population decline, you'd had more of a population shift before this away from the city of Rome. If you look at a map, Rome is okay. incredibly easy to defend. 
but it's actually not that well situated for trade. Like, there's no port. The Tiber River isn't really that major of a river. <laughs> it's it's really not, <clears throat> you know, compared to most other major cities. So it made sense that the population would shift away from there as the empire became more commerce-based. But uh, the main population uh, decline comes uh, when they lose access to North African grain a little later on in the in the late later of the the uh, early fifth century. Okay, and I feel like that's really important. So we should maybe zoom in on that, like because you did, and that's when you cut off an empire of that size from its food supply. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's crippling. So you had these, uh, this particular barbarian tribe called the Gruthungi. And uh, long story short, rather than attack the heart of the empire, uh, they looked down at North Africa. And North Africa was always, there, 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 there were not a lot of troops stationed there because it was pretty safe. Right? All the barbarians are coming from Europe and, and Asia. From the from the north and east of the empire, the mm-hmm. North Africa there's there's the Atlantic and the Sahara Ocean or, or Sahara Desert. Sahara Desert, like, right? Yeah. There's there's not really any threats there, so you had a few a few legionaries to protect against uh, uh, nomadic raiders and stuff out of the out of the Sahara. But there's that's just you don't need a lot of guys for that. So these Gruthungi, rather than fighting in the heart of the empire, they just go down to North Africa and take over uh, relatively easily. The Romans try to send a uh, an expedition to respond, but it fails. And, okay. uh, just like that, they lose access to North African food supplies. What year was that about, or what time frame are we talking? Uh, we're talking the early 400s. I do not have a, a date in my head. But it's, okay. it's, it's, yeah. it would be the early 400s. So, okay, we're talking the early 400s. So what was the year? There was a scene, or a scene, that's me, that's my previous life as a, you know, video person. So let's, let's do this. There was a, there was a flashpoint or inflection point or moment where there was a Roman general and the Roman general told him to, told the new emperor to, uh, basically, go. <laughs> yeah. What year was that? Well, there were, there were a few times that a general took over. Um, I think you you may be talking about um, Maximum. Uh, Scipio was, was it? Was it? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The last Roman emperor was uh, Maximus Romulus somebody. Augustulus. Romulus Augustus. Okay, Romulus Augustus. Yeah, okay, and, he, and the, he was. So go ahead. The general told him to basically, uh, I'm going to take over now, and I'm going to be the the king of Italy or the emperor of Italy. Basically, yes. what he said. Okay. Yes, he was a barbarian general. He was yeah, Ma- Maximus Thrax, I want to say. I might have that wrong. Uh, he's mm. he's he's not actually that major of a historical figure. He's except for the fact that he deposed the last <laughs> Roman emperor. But at mm. that point, the emperor was. He was like a 16-year-old kid living in a swamp in northern Italy. 
symbolic, like his, he, he only controlled a few square miles of land even. Mm. So it was almost a, a symbolic overthrow. But the, the significance was that, yeah, when he says, I'm, I'm now being the king of Italy, he doesn't even bother claiming the title Roman emperor because it's become yeah. meaningless. Yeah. And so that was, okay, so what, let's find out what year would that was. So, because to my way of thinking, from the time you basically take the grain supply away from Rome, to that, like that was really, people must have thought, oh, okay, this is different. You know what I'm saying? We're, we've entered a new situation. Yeah, once, once the food supply dries up. Or it starts to go downhill, basically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. I'm, I'm looking at, at uh, Google here to see if we got some dates. Okay, so we're looking at uh, late 300s conquest of North Africa happened over a few years. Okay, yeah, Romulus Augustulus was overthrown on September 4th, uh, 476. Okay, so let me, okay. I feel like we're modern. We're, we're modern people over here. I mean, I'm talking to you through a cell phone. We're across the world. So, right. like, you, not across the world, but we're up a coast. <laughs> we're way up the, the North American seaboard here. So let's, I'm going to say something that would be painfully obvious to people older than us and painfully not obvious to people younger than us. Okay. And for those of you in the future, you probably won't even realize this. Uh, but you could be a farmer, just a normal farmer back in the, back in the late 300s on the Italian peninsula and not even understand that Rome or that North Africa even happened, right? Or that, you know, (laughs) you know, so your world was really small. So probably to you, when Rome fell, might have been when there was a new king of Italy coming around to take your taxes. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's yeah. what you would know of, of who the government is, is, is when, it, when it's tax time. Yeah. And that's even a line you said, like, the, the borders were more fixed by what king had the authority to take your taxes or the the strength to take your taxes or what have you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, to, it, it, the fall of Rome happened for different people and at different times, depending on where they were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think mean, to, yeah. to your other point, though, you know, as far as, you know, the average person not knowing, you, you've got to wonder what the effect is, uh, the ripple effect is across the economy among like the, the merchant classes, the people who would know about the loss of North Africa because it's so important to their jobs. Well, you got to wonder, a, is, was, there, was yeah. there a panic? Like, I didn't read anything about that, but it would be interesting to see. Another... Uh far bigger podcaster who doesn't need our help in the shout out 
um, had a fascinating story about you, you might have a mine owner somewhere, like a, a guy who owns a mine, but he's not the big mine owner, but he's a small, a smallish mine owner, right? And he might get the brainwave. I don't need to hire Roman mercenaries I, or Roman soldiers. I can just get mercenaries in and to protect my mind, right? And then, oh, the next brainwave is, why do I need to ship this gold to Rome? I can just do this and such, right? Yeah, absolutely. Leads, and this actually did happen, and there are records of that, which, which leads me to think, I wonder if one of the things that broke down was that you had this commercial class that wasn't per se elite per se, but what they were was prosperous enough for where they were that they could just, they thought they could rule the roost where they were. I wonder if that happened as much as anything else. It certainly seems like that's the case. I mean, you have that on the, in, in the uh, case of uh, multiple governors mm-hmm. deciding they're going to go their own way. Mm-hmm. Right, and and you see that through throughout time, you know, <laughs> you see that really throughout time. Um, Absolutely, uh, you see African conflict diamonds, right? Or like an example is, um, yeah, but a, a much more modern example would be. So I cover the the COVID, right? I cover COVID in my podcast. And one of the things in the early days people were, were bumping up against is, well, this town, you know, this major city has a lot of COVID. But we don't have a lot of COVID here. But then you're thinking, or some people were thinking, yes, but all it would take would be one person from New York City to go to your small little town that's on the other side of the continent, and boom, you have COVID now. Like your whole town, or, you know, your whole, there's a pocket, not your whole town, but there's a pocket. Now the the seed and has been planted. Exactly, exactly. And I think a lot of people these days, you know, back in 20, it's funny to say back in 2020, but, <laughs> you know, back in 2020, I feel like a lot of people learned how connected we were that maybe didn't think of that before because they didn't have to. Right? right? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. One one person yeah. gets sick in, in one part of the world and yeah. supply chains are down and, and everything's a mess. Right. But okay, let's, we agreed to move this back to Rome. Yeah, back to Rome. <laughs> move this back to Rome. Um, so, Okay, so we're both of the agreement that the that the kind of the middle elite or the middle commercial class, not the middle class, but the middle commercial class might have been more sensitive to the fall of Rome than, say, the elites, per se. Yeah, yeah, I think if you were a, a true elite, you know, you're, you've got yeah. ways of preserving your power. If, you, if you're in this commercial class, right. that's going to hit you. Yeah, 
did you maybe study or read about the, the, the letters that would move back and forth and how like the le- the length of the time the letters would go from point A to B kept getting longer. I did not read about this. You're talking about just uh, postal traffic, basically, in the Empire? Yeah. One of the ways that the, that the professional historians track the fall of the Roman Empire is the, the letters that people would send or the scrolls or proclamations or whatever they are would take kept taking longer and longer to get across the roads from point A to point B. That is fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah. It it, it makes sense. Yeah. And that's actually one of the ways the historian, you know, the professional historians look and say, well, this is how you can say by this year this happened and by that year, you know, the other thing happened. And what they hypothesize is like uh, local local warlords started springing up. Those those middle merchants, that middle class of merchants, from the elite to the the next level down, started becoming warlords. <laughs> you know, or or the warlords started becoming merchants. You, you see some of that too during the the barbarian invasions. You're, if you've got a bunch of uh, step horsemen and you can take that gold mine, well, then you get to be the rich guy. Yeah, that's and that's totally true. And you see a lot of um, counterfeit uh, coin, or I guess what we call counterfeit coins. I don't know what they would have called it, but it was it, that was a problem through the whole the whole uh, last couple of centuries of the Roman Empire was uh, they were debasing the currency. Can you get into that? That's interesting. So now I'm going to mess this up because I haven't studied the numbers in a while, but it's it's directionally correct. They, uh, the, the old Roman currency was all gold and silver. But as time mm-hmm. went on, they started, started adding uh, copper and bronze and other metals to the coins in higher and higher proportions. Okay. So... You know, you, you look at a, a silver denarius from the first century, it's, I, I forget how they measure silver purity, but it's basically pure silver, as pure as you could get in that time. And you, you look at an equivalent coin from the fourth century, and it's almost entirely tin. Yeah, and in a, in a world where you don't have interlocking debt moving around, yeah, we, we we were talking earlier about deficit spending. That's there's yeah. your ancient equivalent. Yeah, but that can be a real problem if you can't get people on the on the same page with that. Oh yeah, especially when you have different grades of coin in circulation, and people figure that out, and then they're measuring them yeah. to see how much they're actually worth. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so. By the time you get, so these, uh, these barbarians, they weren't, they were, that was a label that the Romans sort of put, right, on other people, which, and that just meant they're not us, basically. 
Yeah, it was actually uh, the Romans adopted the word barbarian from the Greeks. Uh, and for the Greeks, it was it was kind of a mocking thing for people who didn't speak Greek. You know, they just sound like they're saying bar, bar, bar. Uh, oh, they're barbarians. Yeah. Uh, so it's okay. yes, basically the word for anybody outside the empire who, who, who didn't speak the language. Okay. So, but that wasn't negative connotations per se. That was just... Yeah. Yeah, there was not necessarily... Yeah, a pejorative sense to it. Yeah. So, okay, so we've got these hordes of barbarians that are basically traipsing through the Empire who are mad because they they were, you know, they had to sell their children into slavery for food. And did that keep happening, or... or or, or what? Well, that was uh, that was what happened under uh, the Eastern Emperor Valens when the Goths first crossed the Danube. But that kicks off a series of events uh, that people talk about as uh, as the barbarian invasions. Mm-hmm. So the Goths come in. Uh, they have a leader, Fritigern. Uh, who leads them around the Balkans for a few years, causing trouble for the Romans. And then uh, the Romans are basically able to uh, get the Goths to elect a new leader who is friendly to the Romans, and they make peace, and then they the, the Goths settle peacefully. Uh, but this has sort of opened the floodgates to more barbarians moving into the empire. And and there are more peoples coming in because they're being pushed by the Huns. The Huns are like this force of nature sweeping across Eurasia, and every time they run into a new society, those people run away to the west and end up crashing into the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to... the. Those people are trying to settle up with the with the Roman authorities who and then when they basically I think it was the Goths or the the Vandals. It was the Vandals that were able to secure through through a deal North Africa. Yes. And then everybody else wanted that same deal, basically. And it was, it was, uh, yeah, from that point on, you ended up, I believe, with, um, you had Goths and, and Germanic tribes throughout a lot of France. You, you basically saw the empire carved up with, with land deals to these different tribes. And the deal was supposed to be that they would fight for the empire then in exchange for this land, but not always the case. They would. Yeah. And sometimes would not fight with the Empire. Okay. Let me ask you a, a fascinating question. That I just, listening to you, I, I kept having this same thought. If the Romans did not make that deal with the Vandals, say they didn't make the deal with the Vandals, say they didn't give them North Africa, what would have happened? It's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know that they could have stopped the Vandals, but 
I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I think the Vandals might have just taken it, but I don't know that the Vandals would have wanted to do that because at that time there was still food there. It still had value. And if they they took yeah. it, they might just destroy it. I, I don't know what their move would have been. Okay, well, here's why I keep asking you this. because the Here's why I ask you this. Because the other school of thought on why the Roman Empire fell was it was an evolution. Like places were evolving into smaller places, like this rise of a consciousness, a nationalism consciousness kind of thing, right? Well, what if the way to poke a hole in that is either the Romans just let the Vandals on through or they, you know, try to repel them or whatever. But for some reason, they don't give them a chunk of land. You see what I'm saying? Or you, you, I see what you're saying. You're thinking more long term. Does 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 that not then create a cultural division where you have Vandal North Africa and yeah, Germanic dominated areas, etc. But you're still rocking along under the same banner, at least on the surface. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it was it was them giving the, the land away to the Vandals that you know, number one sets that president and and lines things up for for North Africa to fall completely later on. Mm-hmm. See, but that's why I really like your show because you focus it into probably what actually might have happened versus say this is an evolution of things that were going on. Yeah, I mean, I think I think any time to say something is an evolution is almost a cop out because mm-hmm. everything is evolving all the time. I mean, that's that's just a given. Mhm. Mhm. I mean, so you can you can say something's evolved though. Like we were talking about the the leadership, right? The the local uh, bureaucrats would often just become the the new duke. Or, or what have you, the new the new landowner. Mm-hmm. The the empire is gone, but the the lo- they're they're at least trying to maintain the the local society on the same order. Yeah, right. It's like you have an evolution for sure, but there's also like sharp breaking points, like say with when they do cede the land of the Vandals. Or, right, or when like, they, yeah, or when or when they lose control of the Mediterranean to Vandal pirates. Um, see that? Yeah. Why don't we go over that? Because <laughs> like you that's don't a have. Deal. Yeah. So it, it gets to the point where the Roman state has been carved up enough they they can't maintain a navy, or not mm-hmm. any kind of significant navy. And what happens is is pirates start proliferating throughout the Mediterranean and it just shuts down trade throughout the empire. Because now now you can't ship stuff from Egypt to Italy. You can't ship things from Hispania to Greece. It's it's not very efficient to go overland. 
And, you know, I think that's that's an inflection point you can look at and say, wow, this empire's really gone downhill because they used to have this fantastic navy. Mm-hmm. One of the great moments in the early empire is Pompey clearing the Mediterranean of pirates. And, wow, now they they don't have a navy anymore. What happened? Mm-hmm. Right. And not to get too, too modern, but we can see that now across in another part of the world. Like, you can see this book. I mean, I, I can see you. You can see me. We're basically the same age. I remember growing up thinking the Soviet Union was this, you know, we need to be afraid of them or whatever. When you're looking at people, <laughs> what they're... Bless, bless them, but when you look at what they're doing in Ukraine to these soldiers, you're just like, this is not the army we thought it was. It's a serious yeah, it was a paper tiger. Exactly. Exactly. And the astonishing thing to me is how many people, some of whom are in positions of authority, are now going, wait a minute. This is not what we thought. Right? Right. It's course, sort of the same thing. Of course, they've still got nukes. I mean, one one wonders how yeah. history would be different if one of those late Roman emperors had uh, threatened to drop a thermonuclear bomb on the on Attila the Hun. Right. Oh, and here's the the strangest part about the Huns. Did you run across? Because I've seen a lot of debate, raging debate in historical circles, who the Huns were to modern people, to modern genomes. Like, who were they? I I did give one theory, and it's like all theories about the Huns, it's controversial. Yeah. But shortly before the Goths start moving into the Roman Empire, okay. uh, the Chinese write about a bunch of horse people attacking them. Okay. Uh, they called these people the Zhongnu, and the Chinese descriptions sound a lot like the Huns. Now, the Chinese had a really powerful empire and drove them off, and they were last seen going off towards the west. So, and then shortly thereafter, then, right, we start seeing these Goths moving in towards the empire because they're being attacked. So it, it could be that the Huns came from you know, Mongolia, yeah. basically. But I haven't seen any genome analysis on that. I've, I've looked at the, the Chinese yeah. records, and, and they, they sure sound like Huns, but yeah, who knows? Well, I think it's fair to say to, to the people... To, to my audience here, uh, one of the raging debates of history and also biology, frankly, is nobody knows exactly who the Huns were when you map that on to modern humans in terms of whatever. Really, they can't but, uh, they can't tie that into the greater family tree conveniently. Well, not. It, not precisely, and there's some interesting thoughts about, there are some really interesting thoughts about why that is. Because plagues might have come around, there was a plague of Justinian, there was, um, 
Attila the Hun, not Attila, um, Khans, the Khans. There was the Khans, you know, the Khanites. Yeah, they were so a little was, later, but yeah. Yeah, well, they were, they were between them and modern DNA, so. Who knows oh, how many gotcha. People. They, they kind of wiped out all the people. So right. it could be that their ancestors mostly died and mixed exactly. into another society or something. Exactly. Or like there's firsthand accounts of like descriptions of people where it's like you've got blonde hair, but you also have Asian features, but you have and you have blue eye. It's like, you know, who you, you were still these see that, like that? In, in like Kazakhstan and, and Afghanistan yeah. and Turkmenistan, like uh, the who is that the, yeah. the Afghan girl on National Geographic with like the mm-hmm. auburn hair yeah. and green eyes? Yeah. But that's what I love about this ancient history is it's so there's way more questions than there are answers. I almost like that more than modern history because it's kind of fun to say, okay, well, we don't really know about this, but here are two different theories. (laughs) Or five or six or ten. Right. Or there's some stuff that's unknowable. (laughs) Who were the sea people? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. No, I know what you're talking about. The the people that sacked all those cities in the in the in the that caused the Greek Dark Ages. Yeah, and nobody right? knows who they were or where they come from or where they went. And there's stuff now about like like maybe the maybe you know the emperor so and so in Rome might not have known about these people over here wherever here is but maybe these roman traders who traded with these people you know knew about people on the other side of africa or people in india or you know i well, mean we know for sure that there was trade between the romans and and india and and thereby to China. Have you seen where they actually have um, Roman coins in Mm -hmm. uh, ancient Chinese uh, tombs? I have. Yeah, I've seen some I've seen some stuff, like, from scholars that maybe 30 years ago would have been on ancient aliens. Would have put me in... (laughs) How did the the coins get there? Was it the reptilians? You know, like, I'm serious. There's some stuff they're coming up with now that's like, you know, how did did certain Romans somewhere else know how to make something approaching modern sailing ships and be able to sail hither, thither, and yon? Or, well, I was you know? reading about uh, Indian traders during this time period. Mm-hmm. I, I did a, a short series on the Delhi Sultanate. And yes. uh, they... You basically along the the Arabian Sea, right between uh, India and the uh, the Persian Gulf and the and the Red Sea, you have seasonal winds. So even on a relatively uh, old school sailing ship, you can catch the monsoon winds. I forget if it's east in the fall and west in the spring or vice versa, but you can sail right up into Arabia and access Roman trade. And then sail right back down 
Mm-hmm. One of the one of the biggest cities of the uh, ancient world, and I forget what city it was now, but it was it was in ancient Ethiopia. It was on the uh, on the yeah. Red Sea, and uh, and that was a big deal for them when when Rome fell because. All of a sudden, there was a lot less trade going back and forth between India and the Mediterranean. I mean, it's 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 a shame. I, we live in a world where we're used to data. You know, we are used to data. So if something were to happen, like a thing were to take place, like for example, and just in my city, there was a there was an unfortunate truck fire, which was rather large, and it happened at a choke point in my metro area. And so within about a week of that, we learned that that event cost the American economy so many billions of dollars. <laughs> okay? We don't have that kind of data for Rome, but we're used to it. That's true. That's that's true. We we have to estimate. Yeah. Nobody nobody was tracking yeah. the GDP numbers from year to year. I mean, exactly. So, but it just it boggled my mind back in the day that within a week of that happening, you could be like, that took, you know, that took billions of dollars out of the economy for the whole country. Right. That. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or or, or having right, having access to to information about you know, markets in real time. Uh-huh. You know, a sh- ship full of uh, luxury cars catches fire in the Atlantic Ocean, and ten minutes later, the investors are going sell, sell, sell. Right. Or you remember the. The, I mean, the, I forget the name of the ship, but it was in the Suez Canal. And it, it, uh, Bodie McBoatface. <laughs> no, that wasn't it. Yeah. Ever, <laughs> Evergreen or, yeah, Evergreen. Evergrande. Evergrande. <laughs> Ever, that was the company, but yeah. Oh, or, yeah. I mean, it's amazing all the data we have that we just have that, you know, and, like the, I, I talk to I talk to a lot of independent podcasters, and such as yourself, and a lot of them in their day job are teachers, and they'll tell me the kids are like, well, what do you mean they didn't have the data? You know, the Roman emperor didn't have the data at his fingertips, or what do you mean? Like they don't understand. But this is like the first generation, isn't it? Who? Yeah. It's normal for them. Yeah. Right. I have this thing in my hand. I can access any the anything that is in the catalog of human knowledge. And and why don't you have the thing in your hand? And you know. Or, well, see, anything else on Rome here? Oh, every time I talk, <laughs> I have one of these. I end up talking about. Current events. Um, what were the? Okay, yes. What 
were the technological innovations that you think might have led to what we today call the fall of Rome? That's a really interesting question because, like, people usually think talk about the technology that would build Rome. I don't know about technologies per se. Uh, you did have uh, population decline, but you had cultural changes that I think mm. were significant because you mm. had the spread of Christianity inside and outside the empire. Mm. There was less of a dividing line between the, 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 the Romans and the barbarians. Uh, in a lot of ways, they came to see each other as fellow Christians. And I think, I think that would be an innovation, not of technology, but of ideas that definitely contributed to the fall. Yeah, I think that's where the evolution school comes from, as far as Rome sort of evolved out of existence. I think that's where that comes into play. But I think it had that happened, but the Vandal thing, the Vandals being seated land didn't happen. I think Rome would just be Christian. Yeah, yeah, I think you very well could have seen that if if it hadn't gotten you know. balkanized the way it did. Exactly. Um, Dan, I think we had a wonderful conversation. Did you, okay, I shout you out so much on my show. I want you to shout yourself out on your own episode, please, sir. Oh, I'm honored. <laughs> uh, you can find my show, Relevant History, on any major platform. You can also find it at my website, dantollerpodcast.com. That's Dan, T-O-L-E-R, podcast.com. And I'm on Twitter at Dan Toller Podcast. And Take it away, Ben. Is, this is easily one of my favorite podcasts. Um, thank you, sir. And thank you for condescending to talk to me about a show that you put out two years ago. Anytime, man. It's been a pleasure. Really fascinating, sir. Um, you have yourself a lovely day. And as I've said 180 times into the Internet, I'm having a good day. And I hope you are, too, everybody. All right, everybody. Bye-bye. Let me hold on. stop the recording.